Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Hey, we did it. Welcome back. I got to say, uh, <clears throat> Kyle and, uh, and his crew, and, if, and, and honestly, if you get an opportunity today uh, or some other time to like give a head nod from the distance or anything like that, uh, Kyle's production crew, his media, the tech guys, I don't even know what their official title is. Uh, they have been the rock stars and unsung heroes throughout this entire thing to make sure that all of us could still continue, could continue to do church in some form or fashion. So real quick, can you give it up for those guys? <clears throat> but I forgot to introduce myself. We know most of you. I'm Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here at, uh, at FBH. And uh, it's a weird day for us uh, because... I'm a senior pastor, but I haven't done any public speaking in almost four months. Um, And so it's strange for me, but I'll tell you what, I am so excited to be here and not just have Kyle and his guys back there, not allowed to laugh at anything or make any movements back there or anything like that and just preach to a camera. So uh, this is the smaller of our two services. So I'm going to ask that if you have a baby, make sure that they're nice and loud. Uh, Make sure if you're here uh, and you don't have a baby, make sure you are laughing quite a bit uh, because because I want to feed off of your energy. I've missed it, uh, and I've missed all of you as well, so we are so excited to be here. Uh, But obviously, we are in a crazy, crazy, crazy time uh, in the world. Uh, You know, when I uh, felt like God was prompting me to become a senior pastor, uh, I he, he didn't tell me there was going to be a global pandemic, uh, didn't tell me there, there was going to be other things that I was going to have to lead to, racial tension, all of that stuff, um, shut down economies, civil unrest. And, and I know even for us as a family, for me and my family specifically, even trying to navigate kind of our sons in different conversations and talk to them about uh, what's going on in the world. It's a very difficult thing. If you're a parent and you have kids that are kind of of that age where they can kind of understand what's going on, on, but they're not quite old enough to be able to grasp everything that's happening or anything. You, you know that it's kind of a difficult thing. Actually, the other day, uh, my kids and, uh, and their cousins were playing outside, and they, there's a game that they've played at school for a long time called Infection. Um, and essentially, the, the rules of the game is the last one to be tagged uh, is, is the, the winner, Right, and so uh, I go outside. I'm asking, "Hey, what are you guys playing?" They're like, "Oh, we're playing coronavirus." I was like, "Shoot, okay, cool." And I tried to explain to them, like, "Hey, f- you know, have you t- talked about flattening the curve? Have you, you know, this whole like herd immunity? Have you guys thought through those rules?" And they just kind of like shrugged me off. So I went back inside, and they kept playing uh, coronavirus. But that's a true story. But throughout throughout this entire time, I've noticed that I've had many different reactions to many different things that have taken place. Closing the church doors, that was an incredibly difficult decision. Figuring out technology, the streaming, the work that Kyle and his team has put in has been absolutely nuts for us to be able to figure all of that stuff. Worrying about our giving and what that was going to look like. How, how, were you, how are we going to know if people are going to be faithful givers when, they don't have, uh, when, when they're not sitting in seats every Sunday morning? Like how are we going to rely on those uh, different things? Then, of course, like I said, racial tension. And then to cap everything else off, uh, murder hornets. 
So I'm pretty sure, though, that uh, July is probably going to bring some sort of alien invasion. Uh, Yellowstone's massive earthquake or volcano is probably finally going to go off, whatever it may be. But I've had a lot of immediate reactions in my gut. I feel like this constant tension and not being at ease so much so that I just want to, I just want to argue with people until I get my own way. I just want to argue with people, even for just for the sake of argument. Right, I, like, I'm just going to put this out there and know everything else is out of order in my life. And so the thing that I can control is the argument that I can put forth. And so I'm just going, I'm, I'm going to put that out there. I, I just feel like, man, I just want to, I just want to win. I just want to argue with people. And I feel like all of this, the state of our world specifically, has brought to life a very dark underbelly that has been exposed in a lot of us. You know, I try my best not to go on social media anymore because everything's just divisive. Like, it's crazy to go onto social media and see the, the, the divisiveness. You can't log on anymore without seeing an argument about everything, right? And not just political things. Like, you always assume it's going to get super political, right? We got the election coming up in November, all that stuff. But not just political things. Like, someone could legitimately, right now, not right now, someone could be wearing white after Labor Day, and there would be, like, 15 arguments about why that person is wrong for wearing white on Labor Day or after Labor Day, right? Like, that's how divisive things are in in our world right now, specifically even on, on social media. But I think, I think these things are happening for a couple reasons. One of the reasons is I think we're bored after being stuck at home for so long that the only thing that we can do, everybody, all statistics say that social media is on the rise, right? Everybody is, is, is just ingesting more and more and more digital content. And so people are glued to their phones and people are glued to their phones. They see more opinions that they disagree with and then they feel like that's an opportunity for them to again disagree with somebody else. And so the shouting gets louder and louder and louder. So I think that's part of it. It's boredom. I think the other thing is that we feel out of control because as Americans there have been freedoms that have been taken away. Freedoms that we have enjoyed that we have, that, that really we've probably taken for granted for the most part. And so I think that's another reason. And everyone is shouting. Everyone is shouting. And because of that, social media becomes a massive platform to yell as loud as we want to yell. Because if my voice is the loudest or I can post the most cutting meme or cutting photo or whatever it may be, then I've shouted the loudest and now I win. I've retaken control. And we often think that because everybody else is shouting, this must be the best way to communicate our thoughts and our feelings as well. But as we finish our series regarding the Holy Spirit today, we're going to talk about something that is known as grieving the Spirit, and it's found in Ephesians. So if you have your Bibles with you, whether uh, you have them physically, you have them digitally, whatever, go ahead and break those open. We're going to be starting in Ephesians 4. It's going to continue through 5. Um, but as we, as we finish that, we're talking about the idea of grieving the Spirit and how uh, uh, and what things specifically grieve that spirit and how a lot of the outrage, the words that are being used, the tone being used by Christians and non-Christians alike are obviously problematic to all of us leading lives that are honoring to God. The passage we're looking at today, like I said, is found in Ephesians 4, 29 through 5, 2. And as you're flipping there, I want you to know that Ephesus, this is Paul writing uh, to Ephesus, right? Uh, it was a hotbed of sinful activity as it was kind of under Roman rule and the citizens there worshiped gods who stood for a lot of vile acts. 
stood for a lot of vile acts. But Paul is writing here specifically to Christians. People who have placed their faith in Christ is now going to remind them that once we have been adopted into the family of God, a change must take place in our lives. Not just could take place in our lives, a change must take place in our lives. This is what it says starting in verse 29. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Continuing into chapter 5, verse 1, follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So let's break this down just a little bit. Paul starts here by talking about not allowing any unwholesome talk to come out of our mouth. Actually, the Greek word that's used here is a word, uh, something along the lines of sapros. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but it's S-A-P-R-O-S, sapros, which literally translated means worthless. Don't let any worthless talk come out of your mouth. The word picture here, as I was kind of reading through and studying and that sort of thing, is that the talk that is coming out of somebody's mouth is really like rotting fruit. They would have used that same term, sapros, to describe rotting fruit at the time. And the words used are spreading rotting fruit to others as well. Almost like here's a worthless piece of fruit. Here's a rotting piece of fruit. It is worthless. There is no point in doing it or spreading it around. But it isn't just to stop spreading worthless talk. It is that we are supposed to use speech that is helpful for building other people up according to their needs. So it's not just a vacuum. It isn't merely stopping one thing. It's replacing the worthless talk with something that is edifying. It's replacing the worthless talk that's with, with something that is encouraging, something that people will be built up by, something that is going to make them healthier as an individual. And that isn't just the absence of bad talk. It's the inclusion of good talk. And that really is what it's talking about here. I've been watching a show uh, recently called Alone. Has anybody ever heard of this show? It's originally on History Channel. Okay, so those of you, yeah, it's mostly guys, I think, who raise their hands uh, because I think there is like this primal sense in a lot of guys to be like, hey, I could do that, no big deal. And so what the, the basis of the show is, is they take 10 people, they send them out into the wilderness somewhere, and they drop them off by themselves, right? So it's like one person's here, five miles away, another person, five miles away, another person. So they're not next to each other. They're alone. That's the title of the show. Um, and the, the only objective is to stay, like stay out there as long as you possibly can. You don't have contact with anybody else. And so you don't know if like you're the there's only two people left or there's 10 people left. Like it really is you against the elements and you against your own mind. It's crazy, right? And so by the end, uh, you know, people when they start, they uh, probably have a couple pounds to lose, a lot of them, right? And they're going out there and they're feeling good about themselves. And then slowly but surely you see over the course of however many days, I think the record is like 93 days out in the wilderness by themselves, which is crazy, um, 
And they have to like find their own food, find their own water, build their own shelter. They only get 10 items. It's crazy, right? But so when they start though, everybody looks like they, you know, could probably use a good two weeks without a full meal. Um, And then, but as you see the whole thing progressing, you see people more and more become more and more emaciated, right? And so they have these weekly medical checks. And as the medical personnel goes and they check on the people, once they get to a certain BMI, they say, hey, you got to go. You're at risk for organ failure now. And so we always think to ourselves, I mean, a lot of times we think to ourselves, right, like, hey, if I just cut down my intake of whatever food, then it's fine. And we equate thinness to health. And so we're just like, hey, if I can just remove some of the stuff that I'm eating, it'll be good. The problem is, is that that doesn't always equate to healthiness. It actually depends on the nutrients that you're putting into your body. And so as you see these people go from, you know, very well-built people to people who are completely and totally emaciated, what had happened was is they had just stopped eating bad things. And then for a short time, it was like, wow, they look pretty healthy. And then all of a sudden you realize they are not eating enough healthy things. And so because of the fact that they weren't putting good out into the world, they were putting good back into their bodies, they became unhealthy once again. And it's the same thing when we're talking about this idea of good talk and bad talk, the language that we use. It's not enough for us to simply remove bad talk from our lives, bad talk from our vernacular, bad talk from our platforms. That's not enough. This is actually telling us that we can't merely stop speaking evil. We have to speak truth. So those who will listen will be encouraged. It's not, hey, I'm just going to stop talking. Because as long as I can just keep my mouth shut, man, it will be a whole lot better than opening my mouth. Which may be true. But you're also falling woefully short of what we are supposed to do as Christians. And actually, if we aren't speaking truth as Christians, you know that's sinful? That's sin. If you aren't speaking truth, it's not enough to just, to, to just hold your tongue. If we aren't actively speaking truth and speaking good, it's sin. It actually tells us in James 4.17. It says this, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So, hey, if you know that you're supposed to be speaking good, you're supposed to be talking about Jesus, you're supposed to be encouraging, as it tells us at the end of Ephesians, and you don't do it, and you're somebody who follows God, guess what? That's sin. This is one of my favorite verses. It's one of my favorite verses really because I feel like it it kind of encapsulates for us this idea that Christians... I, and, and honestly, a lot of times it's, it's Western Christianity that does this, not just America, but just Western Christianity that does it. That, man, we'll get people all the time who come and talk to our pastoral staff and just be like, hey, how do I turn my life? Well, hey, is this a sin? It's like, time out. Like, if you're trying to find, like, the lowest common denominator, like, how far can I go without actually sinning, I would venture to say that your heart is probably in the wrong place. And we should probably look more towards being able to speak good into the world being able to speak truth into the world and not just speak negativity into the world. So let's keep moving because verse 30 is really where we see how the Holy Spirit, and this is a Holy Spirit series, so we should probably talk about him, plays into all of this. As a reminder, it says in verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So it's kind of a 
a strange way to say what he is trying to say. People don't really talk like that uh, anymore, don't understand what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit. We don't talk like that, right? We don't walk around and just be like, oh, I really grieved Pastor Jeff this week. Like we don't talk like that. So really another way of what it's trying to say is don't make the Holy Spirit sorrowful. Don't make the Holy Spirit sorrowful. That's, that's really what it's driving at here. And it's, it, goes, it goes on to talk through some of the ways that we grieve the Holy Spirit. Some of the ways that we actually make the Holy Spirit sorrowful. He actually lists six ways here that we can do that. In verse 31, it talks about get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. So the first one he mentions is bitterness. The definition of bitterness is it's, it's an embittered and resentful spirit that, and I think here's the kicker, refuses to be reconciled. So anybody who has bitterness, anybody who is bitter, most likely they refuse to be reconciled to something else or to somebody else. And they're bitter about it. Right now people just seemingly enjoy being mad. Like everybody enjoys just being mad right now. It seems that people right now are living for conflict, arguing and fighting. And this is, like, as with all sin, only gets worse if it's left unchecked and, unchecked and unrepented of. And the sad thing is that bitter people rarely want to keep it to themselves. You notice that? Bitter people, man, if you know a bitter person in your life, they for the most part love to make sure everybody else knows that they're a bitter person. And it's, I don't know if it's a way that they cope with it or whatever, but that tends to happen. The same stuff goes for rage and anger, brawling, slander, all forms of malice. Rage speaks of the person who is easily angered and who raises his voice shouting and screaming. Slander is speaking evil of others behind their backs. So as long as I don't say it to their face, it's okay. As long as I, you know, I've unfriended them on Facebook and so I can say whatever I want to say on Facebook because they can't see it uh, anymore. But that's slander, malicious behavior, speaking of ill will and plotting evil against someone else. Look, all of us have been hurt in life. Every single one of us have been hurt in life, but we have a choice as to how we react to that hurt. We can be like the, many, the, the money lender, Right, Shylock in Shakespeare's, it's one of Shakespeare's uh, plays, The Merchant of Venice, where he demands our pound of flesh. I want vengeance. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. Or are we going to listen to God? When God says, hey, no, no, no. Vengeance is my vengeance. You get rid of bitterness. You get rid of slander. You get rid of malicious behavior. You let me take care of that. And you worry about speaking truth and goodness into the world. So while this is specifically talking this passage is specifically talking about the words that you use. For the most part, I would venture to say that we grieve the Holy Spirit. We make the Holy Spirit sorrowful anytime we continue to have unrepentant sin uh, in our lives that becomes habitual. Habitual unrepentant sin is how we grieve the Holy Spirit. But the question is, is why then is it talking about this idea of grieving the Holy Spirit and then listing these six different things that talk about this idea of, hey, grieving the Holy Spirit and here's six ways that we do it. I believe this list is chosen because of the role of the Spirit. Now the role of the Spirit, among other things, is to continue to move us to a place of holiness. Right? It's no longer our conscience. It's the spirit of God who's, who's illuminating truth in our lives so we then can continue to become more and more holy. That's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. 
And so uh, it, it really is kind of like a place of sanctification to help us change from the inside out is the role of the spirit. And scripture is very clear that what comes out of our mouths is a reflection of the state of our heart. Right? Luke 6, 45 says that from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so whatever it is that's in your heart, whatever it is that you put into your life, that's what's going to come out of your mouth. So while, of course, sin in any way is going to hurt God's heart, if the Spirit's role is to sanctify us, then the words we use are a direct reflection of the state of our hearts. So what we say reflects what's actually going on on the inside. And I think, think the fact that our words, are our words particularly makes the spirit sorrowful is because that's a representation of work, his work in our lives. That's one of the roles, that's one of his responsibilities in our life is to continue to sanctify us as we move forward. It's like when you have a... Uh, your kid, like when you have a kid, right? Um, and younger kids, like as you're teaching them uh, to, to grow up and you want to teach them Christian morality and truth and how to just be like a good, a good person overall. And so you're working on something with them, right? Like let's say, like I know for, for my kids, one of the things we talk about oftentimes is kindness, right? Not just being nice to somebody, but being kind to somebody. So I think there is a distinction there, and I'm going to go on a rabbit trail right here. But there's a difference between being nice to someone and being kind to someone. Being nice to someone, and I'll see if I can talk about this with uh, the spinach in your teeth uh, example. Being nice to someone is seeing spinach in somebody's teeth and not acknowledging it and pretending like everything's okay, right? Like, hey, we're just going to, you're not laughing at them. It's fine, right? You got spinach in your teeth, but I'll joke about that later on. Being nice to somebody is seeing spinach in somebody's teeth and, say, and pulling them aside and saying, hey, just so you know, you got a little from your lunch earlier if you want to take care of that, right? There's a difference between nice and being kind. So we work on our, like, with our boys on that quite a bit because we want to make sure our boys just aren't being nice people. They're, they're being kind people. And I think there's a difference there because kindness deals more with truth and niceness deals more with people-pleasing, right? So we, like, we work a lot on that. And so just being like a kind person. And so I know that we've worked with our kids on that. And let's say, let's just pretend like you've been working on your kids regarding, hey, being kind to your siblings. Now let's just say, I don't know, you got a six-year-old at home who has a favorite toy. Man, that this toy is my toy or stuffed animal or blanket or whatever or Legos, whatever it may be, right? And you have been working with him, right? You've been like giving him Skittles every time he's nice to one of his siblings, like, hey, good behavior, right? Uh, it turns into like a Pavlov's dog situation. Um, some of you got that. And so you're like, you're reinforcing good behavior. You're, you're, you're making sure that you're, you're disciplining them when it's bad behavior. And then all of a sudden you see it coming, right? You see their three-year-old brother grab that toy. You're like, okay, I'm just going to sit back and I'm going to watch. And I'm going to see actually how they respond, how the six-year-old responds to the little brother taking his toy. So they take the toy, man, they're having a three-year-old's having a good time and the six-year-old notices it and you think to yourself, man, my hard work, it's about to pay off right now. <laughs> it's going to be so good. And you turn around and that six-year-old just shoves his little brother, takes his toy, walks off. <laughs> like, man, this is a great day, right? I feel like when you're, t what, like when you see that, 
And, and like, as a parent, you're frustrated and you're sad and you're like, man, all my hard work, I spent so much money on Skittles to be able to reinforce good behavior. Like we have been working on this and working on this and working on this and it seems like all of it's just for naught. And you're sad. I feel like that example really does kind of outline why it is that grieving the Holy Spirit, the language that we use, and why this specifically would make the Holy Spirit sorrowful. Because the words that come out of our mouth reflect the state of our heart. And so if the state of our heart is unsanctified, if we are not continuing to become more and more holy and more and more holy, that would make the Holy Spirit sorrowful, sad, grieved, because of the fact that that is his responsibility to help us move forward. And so that really is why I believe that, that, that it, the, when, when it's talking about language, that the Holy Spirit is specifically grieved. The Spirit is sorrowful because of the sin in our lives. And especially when our words reflect the state of our heart, that may seem like we are unrepentant. We are ungodly. The question though remains is why should we care about grieving the spirit? A couple things come to mind. The first one, if you go back to our first week in this series, you'll recognize that we talked about the idea that the Holy Spirit is God. So we need to continue to hold a high view of who the Holy Spirit is. Oftentimes we just think it's like, oh, some like mystical ghost, it's an it, whatever it may be, right? No, the Holy Spirit is God. And so we need to continue to hold a high view of that. And so if anything is breaking God's heart or making God sorrowful, we need to take that seriously. And then the Sunday school answer and the one that we're going to explore a little bit more is uh, because the Bible actually tells us to do that. So I know it's, a, like I said, a Sunday school answer, but let's check back to the end of our verses for today, which are Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. They say this, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Remember, any time that the Bible uses the word therefore, you need to go back and see what it is. Therefore, good, all of you at one time. Man, slow down. I know you guys are used to being in your jammies right now. Therefore, right? So anytime you see the word therefore in Scripture, you need to go back and see what it's referencing, what it's there for. That's not just Scripture. That's really literature in general. But it will help you understand Scripture better if you see those things. And so he is saying, Paul is saying here, remember, uh, Paul is saying here that because of all of this, because of, because of not being or not grieving the spirit, because of the fact that we want to make sure that you are not slandering, you're not using malicious behavior, you're not doing all, therefore, what? Therefore, follow God's example as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And so because of this, we need to make sure that we love like Jesus loved, a very sacrificial type of love. And Jesus gave us tons of examples of not merely omitting negative words, but contributing words that were going to build people up exactly where they were at at the time. And I think about the woman at the well. Now what a great example of this. You know, she was an outcast. She was living in sin. Uh, she was a people group that the Jews didn't associate with. She was female. Jesus was male. They weren't supposed to have interaction at all. And Jesus, as a teacher, had every right to go to her and condemn her. Every right in the world. 
But we don't see Jesus do that. Actually, what we see Jesus do is walk up and just have a conversation with her. Have a, a conversation with her that, that was a kind conversation, not merely a nice conversation. A conversation that offered her truth in a manner that she was able to understand and encouraged her in the way that she needed at that time. He went and talked with her, offered, offered her the opportunity to follow him and turn from a life of sin. Right? Or when he had a conversation with a man who Jesus had just driven a legion of demons out of and into the pigs and the pigs jump off the cliff, right? It's a demoniac, maybe you remember that story. But Jesus sat and he had a conversation with him. And hey, the conversation was essentially the guy really wanted to come with Jesus. He said, hey, let me come with you. And Jesus sat and he had a conversation with him and he was kind to him. And he told him the truth and he looked at him in a, in, in a kind way and was just like, hey, you need to go home. You simply need to go home. Tell other people what I did for you. And so the man goes home and actually the next time we see Jesus in the same region, just hordes and hordes of people come to meet Jesus. And I can't prove it, but my assumption is is because that guy had a testimony and truth to share with other people. And as he shared that truth and shared that testimony with them, they wanted to know who this Jesus guy was too. You know, it would have been incredibly easy for Jesus to simply not mention to the woman that she was sinning, but instead he showed her love and compassion by encouraging her in the way that she needed. He could have simply gone, drawn some water, and left and not said anything negative, right? Didn't say anything bad and maybe felt like he did his job, but that's not the example that we're given. The example that we're given is, hey, go speak truth in love. Go encourage them in the time that they're in right now. It would have been easy for Jesus to heal the demoniac and simply walk away. But instead he simply sits with him and encourages him to go back home. It's not enough to stop engaging in negative talk. It's much more difficult to encourage people in the way that they need at the time. I love the way that it's written in verse 29. But the original language suggests that the literal phrasing would have been encourage people in a way that is suitable for the occasion. Right? That changes kind of our, our understanding of it just a little bit. Encourage people in a way that is suitable for the, for the occasion. So whenever space you find yourself, and this is going to take some social cues. Some of us are better at that than others. But in whatever situation you find yourself communicating with people, whether that's Facebook, in a text, via phone, through a mask, whatever it looks like today. However it is that you see yourself or find yourself communicating with people, don't just stop engaging in negative talk. That's the bare minimum. What Jesus encourages us to do is to encourage them in a way that is suitable for the occasion they find themselves in now. And imagine what it would look like if the church stopped with negative talk towards people, stopped with the brashness, the argumentative nature, the divisiveness, and instead contributed, the con contributed to the conversation with encouragement, with love, with understanding, and of course, and most importantly, with truth. The church would have a deep and profound impact in the way that our society is currently going if we merely changed our language, if we merely changed the way that we talk. If you're unhappy about the state of our world, stop with the visceral and overly emotive reactions and instead think about what God has done in your life and how you can be that bridge to other people. Stop shouting what you believe 
and, again, and begin conversing about it through love and encouragement. I'm not saying sacrifice truth. But what I'm saying is that if you think adding more shouting to an already loud argument is going to change people's minds, you're wrong. I remember when I was young, and I'll close up with this. I remember when I was young, I was, uh, I was doing lap swimming with my dad at the gym. Lap swimming. I was probably doggy paddling with the best of them. I think it was like eight or nine years old, something like that. And the lap pool was for lap swimming only. They had the pool over here to play in. They had like the kiddie pool with like six inches of water. They had the spa. I wasn't allowed to go into that. And they had the lap pool. And the rule said, if you're in here, you have to be doing lap swimming. And so I remember I was doing lap swimming. It may not have been good lap swimming, but I was doing lap swimming, right? Because I was like just following my dad. And all of a sudden, this lady who was next to us, for some reason... This irritated her beyond belief that I was merely an eight or nine-year-old in the pool trying to get my cardio workout on, you know. And so her and my dad get to the wall at the same time, and she starts screaming at him, absolutely just yelling at him. And, you know, like I'm eight and nine years old, and so, like, like I, like, look up and, like, put my head back underwater and just, like, keep doggy paddling, right? And it's like, uh, what's good? No, nope, don't want to be a part of that. Um, and so... He, you know, hey, I'm sorry, I'm just going to keep swimming. So my dad keeps going. Same thing again, the other side. She just yell and yell and yell. And then eventually, I don't know how it happened, they both got out of the pool and they walked over to the lifeguard stand. I think she said, hey, we need to go. I'm going to talk to the lifeguard about this. And so now the fate of my lap swimming is in the hands of a 16-year-old trying to get a tan, right? And so, I know. I was like, man, this is. So I'm, of course, in the, like the lap pool. And I'm a rule follower by nature. And so because of that, I'm like, no, I'm going to swim the best laps in the world right now. So I just continue to swim laps and swim laps and swim laps. And then I look up and this lady, and she is screaming. She's absolutely screaming at the lifeguard, screaming at my dad. And, I, and all of a sudden it got quiet. And I realized, oh, my dad's talking now, right? My dad's having like a conversation with a normal voice. It was like 20 yards away or something like that. And all of a sudden she just big like angry huff right and walks over grabs her towel over by the lap pool where I'm still doggy paddling and uh she like kind of shoots me a glare and I just put my head underwater real quick right and just like keep going <laughs> my dad comes back he tells me what went down but the thing that I really remember from that story more than anything is that my dad said hey it's less often about how or what you say and more often about how you say it he said she was probably had had the right to be a little bit upset because I probably wasn't going all the way to the end and all the way back. I was probably like doing a little circle in the middle, right? And doing a little burnout in the middle of the pool and, and going to the end or whatever. So she probably had a leg to stand on with her frustration. But the way that she said it, the fact that she came and she argued and she yelled and she yelled and she yelled and my dad just said, hey, look, my son's over there. He's not causing any problems. He's doing lap swimming. And the lifeguard was like, hey, he's right. You can come back at another time late. And she was so angry. But the question remains, how is it that you're saying things? And what is it that you're saying? How are you telling the truth? What words and what tone are coming out of your mouth? Because it's not enough just to stop negative talk. We have to contribute or continue to put truth and truth in a way that is in a loving way out into the world. If your reaction to the current state of the world, if your reaction to the way things are currently going looks the same as everybody else, I would venture to say that you're probably grieving the spirit and you need God to continue, you need the spirit to continue to sanctify you 
So your reactions, your words, your tone look much different than the rest of the world. Amen? Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, God, thank you so much for getting us back into this building. God, it's been a, <laughs> it's been a long time. And I'm thankful for technology and I'm thankful for the people who've made church continue to happen. I'm thankful for Kyle and his crew for making sure that people can still hear your word. But God, there's, it just, there's something about being a church in a building. And we know that's not the end all be all. We know that your church thrives regardless of, of walls or anything like that. But God, thank you for letting us open our doors this week. And God, I pray that we would continue, we would be able to continue to keep them open. And God, I uh, pray for the state of our world. God, I pray for racial tension that we could find common ground. God, that it wouldn't be about the color of our skin, but it would be about the color of your son's stripes. God, I pray, I pray for this global pandemic. God, I pray that you would just eradicate it. We call it done. I pray for people's well-being, their livelihoods, our economy, all of the things that people rely on to be able to make sure that they can take care of their families. God, I pray that you would protect those things. God, I pray for our government. I pray for our leadership. pray for our president. But God, more than anything, I pray for your church. And I pray that we would recognize the power that we have as your church. That in America, we have, the church has the ability to change society should they decide to rise up and do it. And we can do it simply by the power of our words and the example that we're putting forth. God, make your church bold. Make your church strong. Make your church, your church truthful. Make them kind. God, I pray that we would guard our tongues, not just against negative talk, but we would put your truth out into the world in such a way that, we, that people would be able to hear it. That we wouldn't shout that we would actually be willing to sit down and have a conversation in love with whatever that looks like in today's world. And there's those here who have yet to place their faith in Christ. And they're saying, you know, Holy Spirit, you're coming upon them right now. I just pray they'd follow along with me and say, hey, Father, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. That I sin every single day. And I know I fall short, so I admit that, God. And B, I believe, though, that you sent your son to die on the cross for me. And because of that, I can be reconciled to you forever. And that I would choose to follow you. C, that I would choose to follow you every single day. And that includes, that includes, God, our ability to protect our tongue, to guard our hearts, to not grieve the spirit. And to speak your truth in kindness to anybody who's willing to listen. Father, we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.